Welcome into the bank, a show which covers the Baltimore Ravens and the NFL. The bank is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Baltimore Orioles, the Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. Welcome into the bank. I'm joined, as always, by my colleagues Mike Randall and Jamie Seek, and we're still coming off of Sunday night's win versus Kansas City. First, a word from our sponsor, Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. They're a third-generation family business established in 1959. They're located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster. They're the oldest floor-covering store in Carroll County and one of Maryland's longest-running flooring businesses. For all your flooring needs, think Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. So, uh, we've got a few things to uh discussed tonight and hopefully we do have some knowledge behind the things we say but you know at the core we're fans and uh really want to start with that so what were the emotions for you as a ravens fan sunday night mike (laughs) a roller coaster of emotions that's for sure uh did not start out great uh poured myself an extra stiff stiff drink after that first uh pick six figuring we just picked up right where we left off the end of monday night um, and then, it, you know, it all, it all seemed to get better. Uh, you know, there was a second interception and then it seemed to get better from there. And then you think you're down in the dumps, the Kansas city's going down. We burn those timeouts late in the game and they're just going to go down the field, kick this field goal. And then Adafi Owe makes a play of the night, his second play of the night to force that fumble new life. Uh, I mean, a roller coaster of emotions all night and, uh, Really, obviously, glad that the Ravens came out on the winning end of this one. Jamie, how about for you? Uh, I mean, I think the way everybody else uh, kind of felt, it was that, you know, going into the game, it was kind of like, well, you know, uh, like you said, Chris, a puncher's chance, but not didn't have high expectations. And then, but seeing the way that they rebounded from the early turnover, to kind of stay with them score for score. I mean, not like it was a tie game the whole time, but they stayed within striking distance. And when that, when Owe knocked that ball out, I actually jumped off the couch, which is quite a feat for me these days to, to, to react. So, so did I. <laughs> and saw that ball on the, on the carpet. And then when it, when it got to fourth down after the turnover, that was one of those moments I, I texted a friend. I'm like, we're going for this, right? I'm like, Harbaugh's not Mike Tomlin here. He's not going to punt. And, you know, lo and behold, they came out in that, uh, in the, you know, they went, they went pretty heavy single back, or, or excuse me, Lamar. You know, you knew Lamar was keeping the ball in his hands. And when he, was, when he shot to that gap, it was like, holy crap, we just beat the Chiefs. Cool. <laughs> Yeah, when that fumble came out, that's probably about the most excited I've been as a fan of any sport in in years. Uh, I think it's one of the things I've uh, maybe not struggled with, but I've just noticed about myself as I've got older that like I still care. I still I'm still watching all, all the games and all the sports, and like I still care about the teams. It just it doesn't hit as much as it did as a kid, and uh, and uh, I've missed that. Part of that's just growing up, I think. But uh, I've missed that not feeling that uh, elation, the elation in the mm-hmm. same way, uh, you know. Uh, and it did hit uh, uh, Sunday night, you know. I felt like uh, 
you know, that was cathartic and it was a, you know, really enjoyable as a fan. Um, I think it certainly energized the fan base as a whole, you know, whatever happens the rest of this year, you know, that the team, they they responded in that capacity uh, with everything that they were facing between the injuries and the loss in week one and facing, you know, what's been the best team in the AFC for the last several years and had beat the Ravens the last three times they faced. And it was uh, cathartic. It was fun. So uh, the Ravens, they avoided falling to 0-2. And even with that extra playoff team and the extra game this year, would have been two conference losses and pretty uh, significant hole to climb out of uh, had they lost. So after the several weeks of the injuries and that loss at Vegas, uh, many of those negative feelings kind of just washed away with finding a way to beat the Chiefs. Right, Jamie? Yeah, well, think about it this way. Um, Most of us, and uh, I put this on the board a couple of days ago, I think most of us expected to wake up on Monday morning being one and one. We didn't expect to be one and one like this. You know, you expected to go out to Vegas and and have kind of a garden variety win and then, you know, fight valiantly, but end up losing by probably by double digits to the Chiefs because that's just kind of how it's gone. So I think this one and one, is actually better than the one on one we expected. Yes, it's the same thing in the standings, the same thing in conference standings, but there's definitely a psychological impact to the way that they won the game, who they beat, you know, get as everybody said, getting that monkey off of their back. And then when you look at it from the real world perspective, now you got a tiebreaker of the Chiefs. And come late December, early January, that could be very important if the Ravens go where we hope they're going to go. So all things considered, again, I think we expected one and one, but I think getting there this way proves more beneficial than if the wins had to come the other way around. And Mike, I guess just staying, staying on this for a second. I mean, it's uh, the elation we all felt with the win, but you know, 36, 35, the game could have gone the other way. Uh, it, right. So it's, a, it's funny in a way, just the difference really between just winning or possibly just losing and just how different we all would have uh, felt Monday, uh, uh, morning, but let's stay on the positive, <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah. it, 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 uh, you know, it does kind of wash away everything you were feeling, any negativity going into the game, right? Yeah. Uh, quite a bit, even if the Ravens had, even if the Chiefs had gone down and kicked the field goal and drained all the time, then the ne- the negative part would have been burning the timeouts. But the the pick six in the beginning is washed away by coming right back and scoring a touchdown. So it's almost as if at a seven seven game in Kansas City hasn't touched the ball yet. You're just kicking to them on a tie in a zero zero tie situation kind of thing. Um, and I and I think that the rest of the way Lamar played a great game, obviously, and the running game uh, did what they needed to do. And the defense put them in the best chance to win that game, even though Mahomes for three quarters had his way, but he's going to get his no matter what you do, but you have to limit what he gets, uh, you know, the, the defense adjusting and not just sending the house or if they just sent the house like they did in Vegas, Kansas city might've put up 60 points. Who knows? Um, but, uh, you know, being able to play that close the game would have felt a lot better um, than if, you know, it would have felt a lot better even in a loss than 
um, if they hadn't played the way they had, if they played the same way in Vegas, didn't adjust to the way they needed to. So um, and, glad, and to glad they ended up with the win. Um, but certainly uh, there were some things that happened that, you know, it could, we could be sitting here at Owen two, but still feeling pretty good about how he handled the uh, Kansas city game. Yeah. Well, to your point there, I mean, the Ravens had more total yards, 481 to 405. Obviously the mm -hmm. Ravens controlled the action on the ground, 251 yards uh, rushing. Uh, they were also six of 11 on third down while Kansas city was only one of six. So considering the Ravens spotted Kansas City 7, uh, the outcome really didn't feel flukish there. Ravens held the ball for 36 minutes. That's the blueprint if these teams were to play again? I think so, for sure. It's anytime going back to the days where we're facing Peyton Manning and, and Tom Brady annually, it was always keep them on the sidelines. And we said that leading up to this game and every game we play against Mahomes is keep that dude on the sidelines. He can't throw touchdowns from the bench. Uh, they, they limited the drives that they were able to give them. And uh, looking back even last week to the Cleveland uh, Cleveland game against Kansas City, uh, the first half of that game where Cleveland was winning 12-10 to 10 going into the half, Kansas City touched the ball three times. Uh, you know, it was field goal, touchdown, and punt for, for Kansas City on three drives. And for Cleveland, it was touchdown, 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 and they did, couldn't get anything going. The uh, they couldn't get in the a final score there at the end of the half. But they led twenty-two to ten going into halftime of that game. And then the second half of that game, Kansas City goes touchdown, field goal, touchdown, touchdown. So Kansas City's going to get theirs. You just have to limit how often they're on the field. And how do you do that? Kind of like how the Ravens did in the fourth quarter, the drive that put them over the top, a 14-play drive eating off eight minutes of the clock. And 14 of those plays, even though they were trailing, 14 of those plays were run plays. 11 were passes. There was a sack that got nullified with an illegal contact uh, penalty by Matthew. Uh, but that's the way you do it. You eat up eight minutes of clock, you, and you don't allow Kansas City to touch the ball more than absolutely necessary. And, and you just hope to – uh, outscore them in the process. Jamie, obviously we've seen the Ravens rushing attack the last couple of years just be in a class by itself. Uh, the running back that went down camp, obviously well-documented. We've talked about it plenty. And then the, the work in progress with introducing uh, new running backs to, to the offense. Were you surprised at all? And again, including the fact that Stanley was out and Villanueva moved back to the left side, that the Ravens were as successful as they were running the ball against Kansas City, where Kansas City's defensive line was continuously uh, pushed back and just really out of uh, out of position. <laughs> um, well, if, if you think about how many different things, how many different looks we threw at Kansas City this week, it was like Roman really dug deep as far as personnel grouping formations we saw um well we saw seven offensive linemen a couple of different times you know we saw some of the the pistol wish wishbone look formation i mean we saw guys pulling from both sides it was like you didn't know who was going where uh villanueva looked up uh, you know it was a 180 degree difference when he moved back over to the left side i think that was i mean i don't want to say it was a, it was shocking it just when you take a guy out of his natural position, 
and try to grow in, you know, grow in, in training camp. There's only so much you can get to. And they said some of the quotes in game, uh, Villanueva said how difficult it was to switch to the right side. He obviously looked a lot more comfortable on the left side. And we know that the, the offensive line, even though, you know, there's been some injury stuff again, it's not like we were putting a scrub at left tackle for Stanley. You know, so you knew that was going to be okay. Obviously, I was a little concerned about McCarry stepping in at right tackle, but you know he did a fantastic job, and they were just able to keep the you know keep the backs rotating in. Even Devonta Freeman got a touch, and obviously, the Lamar Jackson effect was in was on full display because you saw how many times the defensive ends were just frozen. Or you know, or linebackers frozen because they didn't know what, where was the ball going. We got to make sure Lamar doesn't do this, and if he gets a step when you get to the outside, he's gone. Like on that touch on the uh, the the touchdown where he just stretched the crawl, ball across and broke the plane. He's probably the only guy that, in the league that can get the edge right there, you know. And he so, all the stirs the drink. You know, we talked last week about wanting to see adjustments on both sides of the ball, so both coordinators in my opinion deserve uh, some credit. Uh, Jamie, you mentioned uh, some of the jumbo sets we talked about wanting to see uh, with, uh, with offense and, uh, you know, kind of max protection. And I thought they did a great job with that. And then uh, on the other side with uh, Wink, uh, you know, we wanted to see less blitzing and so, uh, additional zone, and, you know, uh, and they were, I uh, did that effectively. Uh, I, they, the few times they blitzed, Mahomes uh, smoked uh, them. Lit, smoked them, <laughs> yeah. uh, but they but they limited the, the looks overall and limited for the most part. Um, there were still several big plays, but that was more tackling than getting lost behind them. Uh, so I, I was pleased on that. Uh, but let's let's think about Harbaugh for a second. Obviously, wasn't pleased with some of the early usage of the timeouts in the second half. And, of course, his asking Lamar, did he want to go in on fourth and one? Obviously, that's overblown. But Harbaugh has to get some credit for having the guys available to him ready to play. I, you know, that's my opinion. Jamie, what do you think? I, I mean, I think that's the the, the biggest uh, – probably Harbaugh's biggest attribute. And um, I've said this uh, on several occasions. I wasn't a big Harbaugh fan at first. I thought he was a little bit too high school, rah-rah, a little corny, a little cheesy. And I think it took a while for him to win over the locker room early on, you know, the, the, the Ray Lewis, Ed Reed locker room. But as he's grown as a coach and as, you know, talent has filtered in th- throughout the locker room, he's never – we've never seen him come close to losing a team his teams always play hard. He is an outstanding leader of men, if you will, not to be overly cliched, but he excels at it. He always get he always has his guys playing hard and they seem to respond to adversity. I think back to the uh, the 2014 after the Ray Rice stuff broke and we played that primetime game and it was like, "Oh, this isn't going to be good. Like, oh, this is probably going to get ugly." And they end up going out on Sunday night and putting up, and it was, I believe, beat the, it was the Steelers on Sunday night and and put up a, a big game. His teams respond to adversity, and this week was a perfect example. Obviously, you're still reeling from all the injuries. You can then get the Ronnie Stanley news. Obviously, you lose a game in Vegas that you expected to win, 
and then even losing some guys in game, you know, with the uh, um, the concussion of Deshaun Elliott and, the, and losing Brandon Williams, the neck injury. But they, oh, we lost Tyree Phillips last week as well. Um, but, you know, he had them playing hard and they came out with the win. So I think that that starts and ends with the head coach. Yeah, Jamie, I think you nailed a couple of things really important there. One, obviously the locker room has turned over multiple times, and I might have had similar thoughts to you about Harbaugh kind of in the early days, but uh, his longevity really has to be pointed pointed out at this point. He's gone through multiple iterations in the locker room, and he's been able – and the Ravens go out and seek the guys that actually – you know, a character type of guys who actually care about uh, on the field uh, and enjoy playing. But uh, Harbaugh resonates with them. And the leader of men thing, I think, is much more important than the in-game tactician, uh, which matters. Um, But, you know, what you're doing – Monday through Saturday and getting ready and <laughs> getting ready for games and, and preparation and having your team collectively operating on one page. Yeah, I think that matters more than any, any decisions we directly see uh, the head coach make on Sunday, e- even when they, you know, sometimes are, are irritating during the process. Mike, what are your thoughts on, on Harbaugh at this point? I mean, I think Jamie said it all. There's really not much else for me to add that, you know, leader of men stuff and overcoming the adversity so far. And uh, Harbaugh really won me over a few years ago when they had to adjust from losing Joe Flacco to injury to bringing in Lamar Jackson and and revamping the offense over a bye week and and doing so to the tune of what was it seven and one to finish that regular season and to get into the wild card spot including a couple tough road wins there so i i mean that's where that's where he won me over as a guy that was kind of on the fence about harbaugh in, in some of those down years in the in the mid 2000 or the mid 2010s uh few years post super bowl that luster kind of started going away uh the, the way he you know you're able to adjust on the fly like that and then you know have the right guys in place continue to hit home runs and drafts which we're going to talk about Adafe away here shortly uh it you know it can't be overstated you you got a guy that uh keeps winning no matter what circumstance no matter the, the players change and he keeps winning I guess and that's that's the mark of a great coach and it's credit to the organization as a whole that, and his ability to work with the front office as well and identify the players that he wants directly for the systems that they've run and DaCosta overall finding uh, finding the personnel and their symbiotic relationship there. So we'll cover it maybe in another episode. Kind of interesting to think about. Harbaugh's still a young guy. He's been here forever. Just how long a run could he wind up uh, 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 having here, uh, you know? Um mm-hmm. And you're kind of getting to a realm of, like, you know, it's not going to be a season, maybe even two poor seasons that pushes him out the door. It's going to be, how long do you want to coach? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, uh, but, yeah, interesting to think about. And we'll see if he can uh, cap, you know, his time here with another title. How old is he? Is he, like, 57, 58 um, at this point? No, I, I think look it up. I think he's magic. I thought he was googling in his early it. 50s. it right now. He's he's fifty nine. He he oh, actually really? he turns uh, sixty tomorrow, guys. 
Really? Actually, whenever, when everybody listens to this tomorrow, he will turn 60. Oh, no kidding. He, he's birthday, a very youthful Happy birthday, Coach Harbaugh. <laughs> there you go. I'm sure, he's, sure he's a big fan of the show. <laughs> uh, so, Jackson, he got past the early picks, and he's willing his team to victory. I mean, that's that's the primary story, and really we could spend uh, all of our time here tonight talking about that, but – if there is a secondary story, it's already been mentioned a few times. It's Owe just showing out on the defense, Mike. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so this is a guy that he, he's logged seven uh, total pressures already this season. And it, it's a small sample, but I, some of the names that he's ahead of are Joey Bosa, Chase Young, uh, the first edge rusher taken, which was Quiddy Pay, uh, so, and some other guys that he's – He's balling out so far. He made two big plays, uh, forcing basically forcing two turnovers with the way he stretched out to grab Mahomes, at, forcing him to throw a bad ball there, and then the, the fumble he caused and the recovery as well. So, yeah, he, he's balling out, and uh, it's going to be exciting to watch this kid for a long time. Jamie, you see the closing speed, and you just see the, the physicality. I mean, this guy – the fact that he it's already clicking for him uh, this early in his career, we thought this is going to be kind of a, yeah. you know, a project. Uh, it's pretty exciting. Think about the prospects here. Yeah, because we haven't. I mean, I, uh, you know, it was sizzle early in his career, but that could you know get to a quarterback one on one without having to be in schemed up to get there. You know, we had bullware that could do that before him, but we kind of have had a long run of not having guys that can really consistently beat the guy on the other side, you know, lined up on the other side of them. We've always had to get home with pressure. I think then the organization told us, they said, Hey, don't get wrapped up about the no sacks in college, obviously, or the no sacks last year at Penn state. And obviously that was the big, you know, overarching theme during, you know, the lead up to the draft. And of course on draft night, you know, we knew it was all going to be highlighted and it was, but I mean, the early returns are are fantastic. I mean, the guy is is a he's just a he's a monster, and I'm excited to see what the next 15 games have in store. Yeah, maybe all the defensive uh, recruits uh, locally that keep wanting to filter their way to Penn State can ask James Franklin, like, "What the hell's up with that? Why didn't you get any uh, production uh, uh, right there?" Yeah. Uh, so you come off of this emotional high, and then you're heading to. Detroit for a game that everyone will expect you to win. ESPN's matchup predictor gives gives the Ravens a 71.4% chance of victory. So what are the keys, and is there anything about Detroit which concerns you, Jamie? Uh, I mean, they the uh, what was it? Harbaugh actually used the used the uh, not to to use the phrase too much, but he actually called uh, the tight end T.J. Hawkinson the the straw that stirs the drink. Uh, he's leading the team in targets and receptions and yards and. Obviously, we've gone up against two pretty darn good tight ends the first two weeks, and they've gotten theirs. Uh, so if we have a primary concern, I think it's it's uh, trying to limit limit his touches. Uh, so, you know, Jimmy Smith practiced on a limited basis. Hopefully that bodes well. Maybe he'll finally make his way back to the lineup. And, you know, the hope was that he was going to be a guy that could match up with tight ends. Um, you know, and then from a, a more macro perspective – Anytime you're facing an 0-2 team and facing an 0-2 team at home, they're desperate. That can be a recipe for some, you know, trepidation. But 
let's be honest, they they're defensively they're hurting, especially in the secondary where they've uh, uh, they lost their rookie. I'm not even going to try to pronounce his name, Milifonowu, to a, a thigh injury, and then they had uh, Jeff Okado with a torn Achilles. So they're thin in the secondary. So there's an opportunity to attack there, and you know, I mean, quite frankly, the Ravens are the better team on paper, as the matchup predictor bears out. So as long as you don't don't turn the football over, <laughs> you know, I'll say that again. I'll keep saying that every week because we saw what turnovers got us into a hole, and getting turnovers back got us out of the hole. So take care of the football and try to limit Hawkinson's touches, and I think you'll be in good shape. Mike, is uh, Goff going to light up the Ravens? Uh... I wouldn't say light up, but uh, despite some of their shortcomings in the receivers room, uh, the Lions and Goff have hit on some big plays this year in their two games so far. So uh, Hawkinson's a part of that. And Quintez Cephas, uh, you know, they've had a couple of big plays, but I wouldn't say he's going to light it up against this defense. But it is something that. You know, they hit a couple big plays. They start to believe, as Jamie said, being 0-2, you know, at some point you you almost pulled out all the stops. You got nothing to lose. Or you look at a game like this as a must-win to not go 0-3. And it's a a big game for a team like the Lions playing, uh, you know, a team like the Ravens. and, you know, I think they, 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 were, they were leading the Packers at the half, I believe, on Monday night. So Yeah, they, they played okay for for a half. Uh, I think they'll play with a little pride, plus it's the NFL. So best team, worst team, it's not yeah. huge disparity. So it's like what Jamie said, if you avoid the turnovers, I mean, that's the uh, that's what evens things up, right? And, yeah. And it's cliche for a reason, but – you know, hey, if you're the uh, superior team, go out there early, put your foot on their throat, and you know, knock yeah. them out. Uh, don't let them uh, think they have a chance to win, especially at, uh, when they're at home. So yeah, and they're the—I believe they're the worst defense in the league. So the Ravens, e- even if they're not clicking on all cylinders, should put up 30, 35, close to forty, and just no, no, no business giving up that that kind of numbers on defense. Yeah, definitely want to see the defense. I, you know, you want to see the defense put together a game <laughs> and, uh, and and tackle a little bit better, just a little bit and better, tackle a little, just a, <laughs> just yeah. a hair better at all. Uh, it, just a, let's stay on that for just one second. The tackling. Um, so uh, I heard, uh, I think it was Jonathan Vilma, and he was on with Ryan Rosillo. Uh, Rosillo is on uh, as a podcast on the Ringer. Uh, Vilma, formerly ESPN, currently a Fox, longtime NFL player. And Vilma was talking about how the game is so much different than it was even five years ago at this point, just because of uh, the total lack of hitting in in training camp and with no vets playing. And he said, basically, you're looking at the first three weeks of the season being like really training camp level <laughs> games. Uh, at, at, you know, he was pointing out the tackling. So, uh, you know, also you have the additional snap counts of everybody, you know, going from basically nothing to, you know, go play a full game mm-hmm. and nobody's preparing to tackle. And I mean, for the Ravens, all those years for us, you know, we're all around the same age. And we, we've seen so many Ravens teams. It's like, 
I particularly think about it with, with Ray. It's like, did he ever miss a tackle? I mean, he just <laughs> made every every tackle. And then, you like, you, you see Queen the other day. He missed a couple. He either got then, credited for a lot he didn't make, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. But then, but then in the secondary, I mean, I know Kelsey's obviously – you know he's right there as the best tight end in the league, but that that one score Kelsey had, I mean, how many guys missed? <laughs> Just flat missed. I mean, it was like, yeah, that was something, something to behold. So yeah, interesting to see if that's, you know, is that hyperbole on Vilma's part, or is that kind of an act, an actual thing? And do we see tangible improvement in the tackling in the next <laughs> the next few weeks, or is that going to be a uh, you know, a constant issue, not just with the Ravens, but maybe league league wide. So, uh, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts there, but just I, I mean, I think that, that that's why you see scoring up early in seasons. I think because defenses struggle. Obviously, the rules you know have changed so much, and towards the offense with how you can tackle, and I think the nature of defenders has changed. If you think about like middle linebackers, like. There aren't guys, you know, Ray Lewis was considered small when he was drafted in, you know, 1996. Could you imagine a guy six foot one, 250 pounds as a small linebacker today? There's a lot of teams that are running out linebackers that are like Patrick Queen size. So they're not going to tackle as well because you got a guy coming at you with a head of steam and you're a smaller guy. It's, you know, it's physics. And obviously, uh, you know, part of that is the the change in the offenses, the rules, and the passing games, and having guys that have, you know, a queen a little bit lighter, where you can drop uh, drop back maybe a little bit easier than, than you know, Ray could. Not to compare Queen to, you know, it's it's, un, it's unfortunate for Queen that he's always going to sure. be compared to, you know, to the Hall of Famer directly. There, maybe we should be thinking about like CJ, mm-hmm. but um, but beyond uh, that. Oh, that was the other thing I was just thinking as you were talking there, Jamie. So 20 years ago, you also had the pad difference. Do you think that makes any difference in how uh, guys play in terms of their willingness to go up go up and uh, uh, tackle? I, I mean, maybe it's some of the rule changes where the defense, is, it's always against them. They're not sure, like, is this illegal this week or, uh, or am I allowed to? Depending on the crew, to touch anybody, you know. Right. Well, <laughs> you know. think about playing football with your buddies in the backyard on a uh, a crisp fall day where you're in just a a t-shirt and jeans. You might tackle one way, but when you're playing football mm-hmm. in the snow and you got a heavy winter coat and gloves on, you're going to hit a little bit harder because you got more padding. Mm-hmm. So, right. <laughs> yeah. If you ever see any of the uh, old games, I mean, it certainly stands out to me with all the uh, additional uh, mm-hmm. uh, shoulder pads and thigh pads and uh, everything else. I, I think there's a YouTube video out there from the the NFL Today show from like 1975 or something. And mm-hmm. the, the eight or nine highlights that are the opening credits of the show, like seven of them are unnecessary roughness like <laughs> personal fouls immediate flags right. like like receiver going up for the ball it's like 10 yards away and they're getting like dumped on their helmet like right. you know get clothes lines like guys getting horse collared it's it's crazy it's like and then and none of that stuff was flagged back then right right and it's a totally different game so just to, and just to stay on this a whole topic for another second you know i was thinking about my homes and i think i said it in the game thread the other day so I find it hard 
as a fan to like evaluate, well, where do I have Mahomes all time compared to, you know, some of the quarterbacks we grew up, grew up with. So I can look at Mahomes now and say, Hey, you're as good as anybody today. And I, you know, I certainly believe in the talent, but, but when I'm comparing your numbers, I can't compare your numbers because the systems are so different and the rules are so different. So it, it you know, feels like completely different, completely different games than like, you know, early nineties or early two thousands, or even, you know, yeah. yeah. The easiest thing to do is kind of Mahomes is kind of head and shoulders above the rest of the league with all due respect to guys like Aaron Rodgers and Lamar Jackson and, and those guys, he's, he's kind of up there. And so who is head and shoulders above the, their peers in the nineties and in the eighties and in those different eras, mm-hmm. um, you know, you can't so really compare best, across the eras, era, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. That's really the best, yeah. the best you can do. All right. So back to our outline after my couple tangents there. Thanks for indulging me guys. So, uh, before the bye, you've got this trip to Detroit, followed by a trip to Denver, Indianapolis at home, uh, the Chargers at home, and then the Bengals at home uh, with the extended homestand there. Where do you want to see the Ravens record-wise, and where do you expect to see the Ravens record-wise when the bye arrives, Mike? I, I want to see them at 6-1, and one, and I kind of expect to see them at 6-1. and one. I think Detroit, they have no business losing that game. Uh, Denver, I think the the way we run our offense will benefit us up there, uh, that we can wear them down with our running game in the thin air. They'll be, their defense will be sucking wind by the fourth quarter. Hopefully ours is not uh, because we're just eating up the clock and our defense is getting nice and rested all day. And then three home games, Indianapolis, not too worried about Uh, that's a game you should win. Uh, the Chargers are a wild card, but, I mean, they have some playmakers. They have a good quarterback in Herbert. Uh, I'm not really thrilled with uh, much else that they do on defense. I, I think that's a game you should win. Bengals is a divisional game. You're third straight at home. You're pretty comfortable. Uh, they, that's, you know, they're a team that can maybe sneak up on you if you're not careful, and we'll kind of know more about the Bengals as the season goes on. They got some weapons. Uh, maybe the Bengals are a better team by the time we get to week uh, five, six, seven. week seven. Maybe they're a better team by then than, than we are led to believe right now. But divisional game at home, got to win those. So I'd like to see them at six and one. I kind of expect them to be. If they're five and two, uh, we'll see why. Uh, and determine if that was that's okay or not and uh if they're worse than five and two something's wrong jamie thoughts there yeah uh i i think uh i mean obviously hope it's six and one i mean i i wouldn't be terribly surprised if it was five and two but i wouldn't expect anything worse than that uh, i think the obviously the putting all the other injury stuff aside because that's really where any of our concerns stem from is how decimated this roster has been at key spots but I think they've showed the first two weeks that for as much as we were intrigued by J.K. Dobbins' talent and how he was just scratching the surface and how much we love Gus Edwards, this offense works. It's it's getting to Gary Kubiak level offense. It just works. I mean, they plugged in, you know, Devontae Freeman was, you know, was barely in a camp. And, you know, they plug in Latavius Murray off the street and uh, and a second-year guy who barely, you know, was basically on the practice squad and they're still averaging over six yards of carry and holding and chewing up 36 minutes a clock. So I'm not – so that 
of um, concern is kind of is alleviated. So really now it becomes defensively. Are they going to get into another couple of shootouts? Are the teams that they're playing capable of having shootouts? I don't really think the next two games you're really concerned about that. Um, with the Bengals, it could be interesting by week seven just because of what Mike alluded to about them having some weapons and about them, you know, not afraid to put a lot on Joe Burrow as a young quarterback. And, you know, potentially maybe you could fall into a trap there if you get into a shootout. But hopefully with getting, you know, again, Jimmy Smith comes back as long as Deshaun Elliott's concussion doesn't linger. Hopefully Brandon Williams' injury isn't a long-term thing because historically when Williams is out of the lineup, teams start running the ball on us. So let's hope that, although with the emergence of Justin Matabike, maybe that won't be as big a thing. But I think five and two is my break-even point. Anything underneath that, I'm going to be really disappointed. Yeah, my feelings there. Uh, at Detroit and Cincinnati at home, they need to be, should be wins. Denver, Bridgewater's playing, you know – serviceable giving them some uh, production in the passing game their defense is pretty solid indianapolis uh they're supposed to have a quality line quality running game see if wentz is available and where he's playing at that point how do you sprain both ankles (laughs) yeah and and the chargers uh uh you know, second year quarterback. You know, he had the monster year coming out of out of Oregon, and he's uh, uh, you know, he's a legitimate talent. And you know, like I said when we previewed the season, you know, there are Chargers. I've seen some people call them a, a dark horse AFC contender. I wouldn't be surprised if the Ravens slipped up in one of those games, but I kind of also lean with you guys that. Uh, the Ravens should be kind of favored in all of them. And uh, if you slip once, okay, but really five and two going into the bye, that really should be kind of the minimum of what we're looking at at this point, Mm -hmm. which is pretty damn good uh, feeling uh, versus where I was uh, kickoff on uh, uh, last Sunday night or especially right after the first interception, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, a minute into the game and thinking – yeah, this could be an interesting couple of weeks. So starting, right, starting to look at the projected top five picks in 2022, right? <laughs> yeah, and you know, and instead you're thinking, hey, you know, it could be five and two, six and one heading into the bye and getting uh getting healthier. And as you mentioned earlier, Jamie having that head to head versus Kansas City. So uh as you wrote in your article, what a difference a week makes, or you know, a couple of quarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, so before we go, let's spotlight somebody, one offensive player, one defensive player we haven't mentioned tonight. And the spotlight can be positive or negative. And Jamie, you can go ahead and start. Uh, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to spotlight positive because I'm just a positive guy. Let's, uh, give it up for Hollywood Brown. Um, uh, caught, he's caught 16 of his 20 targets so far, averaging over 15 yards of reception. He is not catching the ball and falling down. He actually said on, uh, I think it was on Good Morning Football that he talked to, uh, that was one of the things that was emphasized with, uh, with Keith Williams and T. Martin was the fact that, look, you gotta, you know, I understand you're a smaller dude, but you can't always look to avoid contact and look to go down or get out of bounds. And you can see that he's playing with a little bit more, toughness with a little bit more edge 
it looked like to me. And it's nice to see him kind of pick up where he left off after he had that little run of drops kind of in the middle of the season last year, sort of got really bad at the Cleveland game. But then obviously he made the big play in the, in the Cleveland game. And then he was really good the rest of the season. He's quietly living up to that first round pick status and things will only get better when Rashad Bateman gets back. And uh, on defense, just want to uh, um, highlight Anthony Averett. Um, we heard uh, Wink talking about him, and, uh, you know, you think it's lip service because obviously you're going to talk up the guy that's going to, you know, step in. You know, the back quarterback's always the most popular guy in town, et cetera, et cetera. But the play that he made to knock that ball away from Ty- Tyreek Hill on that third and nine in the, four- in the uh, fourth quarter there, that kind of in those three stops that we had, he was one-on-one, isolated. It was him on an island, and he was step-for-step step and played it perfectly. That was one of the best coverage situations I think I've ever witnessed. It was remarkable, given the time of the game, the nature of who he was going against, et cetera, et cetera. It was good stuff. Mike, wrap us up tonight. Yeah, I'll stick with the positive as well. Uh, let's start with the offense. Alejandro Villanueva, uh, big round of applause for him for turning it around after week one when everybody was ready to run him out of town as uh, damaged goods sent here from Pittsburgh. Um, really turned it around, switching over to the left side where he's uh, more natural, used to playing at. Zero pressures allowed on Monday or on Sunday night, and I think that was a Big point of emphasis that everybody's worried about is the guy can't block from the right side. You know, in a game where you got to keep up with Patrick Mahomes, how's he going to block Lamar Jackson's blind side? And he did it perfectly. He he played almost you know about as perfect as you can. He allowed no no uh, pressures allowed in the whole game. So uh, kudos to him, and uh, we'll see how that shakes out. If that was just first week, uh, you know, not ready for the defense that they threw at him, kind of like as you alluded to, Chris, with Jonathan Vilma and his comments, like a lot of tackles got beat by edge rushers pretty badly in week one, and things seem to normalize in week two. Uh, so hopefully, even if he goes back to right tackle when Stanley's ready, he normalizes and he's, things are good. Um, on the defensive side of the ball, Justin Matabike blew up two plays in the backfield in a big way uh, on Sunday night. Uh, he's a guy that got a lot of accolades, a lot of high praise uh, during the training camp. Bradley Bozeman spoke highly of him, said he's probably the toughest guy he's ever had to block. Uh, he said that during training camp, and and he's living up to it. He's he's uh, been a force up front in the trenches, and that's where these games are often won, in the trenches. So uh, hats off to both of those gentlemen. Good stuff from Jamie and Mike tonight. Uh, that's it for us in the bank. Uh, come and join the game thread Sunday afternoon at the board. Uh, follow along as the Ravens should be just putting it to the lines. That should be fun. And if they're not, you can uh, uh, just lose your mind like the rest of us. So uh, that's it. Take care. All the best.